Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just wanna make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we are headed as a church. Once again, thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. We are this summer in the middle of what we are calling a deep dive. We are diving deep into the reality of who God is. We've taken one chapter in the Bible, Psalm 145, and we are spending 11 weeks just digging deep into this passage of Scripture. As a part of our deep dive, we're memorizing verses. Teddy just led us to quote the two verses from last week. I want us to read the two verses that we're going to be memorizing this week together off the screen. And as we continue this deep dive, today we discover that God has a name. Did you know that God has a name? I want you to see it in Psalm 145, verse 8. The scripture says, the Lord. Say those first two words out loud. The Lord. Lord, there's his name, the Lord. Now, when we read it in English, it sounds like a word that's used in other places in Scripture. The word Lord in Hebrew is the word Adonai. But this word that's translated here, Lord, in in verse 8 and then again in verse 9 is not the Hebrew word Adonai. This is the Hebrew word Adonai. Yahweh. It's describing the personal name of God. Ancient Jewish people considered this name to be so holy that they would not pronounce the name out loud for fear of mispronouncing the name and somehow dishonoring the commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. So when you read it in the translation in our English Bible, the translators kind of carried that same mentality, and you always see it translated as Lord. Even though the word here is not the word Adonai, Lord, this is the word Yahweh. To distinguish when you're reading in the Old Testament, most translations translate the word Adonai, Lord, L-O-R-D, lowercase. But they always translate the name of God, Yahweh, Lord, but it's typically, not as you see it on the screen, it's typically in all capital letters, L-O-R-D. Why? Because this is the name of God. Our God has a name, and his name is Yahweh. John Piper writes about it. Listen to what he said. God gave himself the name Yahweh. No man gave him this name. It is God's chosen personal name. He loves to be known by his name. Yahweh occurs 6,828 different times in the Old Testament. 
That's more than three times as often as the simple word for God, which is Elohim. It's used 2,600 times. What this fact shows is that God aims to be known not as a generic deity, but as a specific person with a name that carries his unique character and mission. Our God is Yahweh. The God of the Bible, sometimes in English it's pronounced Jehovah. That is the name of our God. And as we continue this deep dive, the psalmist is about to really major on the name of God. As a matter of fact, in the remaining half of the verses in chapter 145, he's going to call the name of God eight times. Two of them in the two verses that we're reading this morning. So let's look at these verses and then let's unpack them. The Lord is gracious and merciful. Slow to anger and great in loving kindness. That's a good place to say amen, amen. He's slow to anger and he's great in loving kindness. That's a good God. The Lord is good to all and his mercies are over all his works. The psalmist is beginning to zero in on the name of God And give us more insight into who God is. Now, with each of these verses, what we've been doing every weekend is asking and answering two questions. The first question is, what do these verses tell us about God? Then the second question has been, how are we to respond based upon who God is? Let me just say up front... The wealth of information in the two verses that we just read is so deep that there's no way we can answer both of those questions this weekend. As a matter of fact, we're going to take this weekend and next weekend to just answer the first of those questions. What do these verses tell us about God? And then in three weeks, we're going to come back and look at verses 10 to 13 and understand what our response is based upon who God is. So let's jump in today, and I want to unpack for you three things that these verses tell us about God. And to be totally honest with you up front, the first two things we're going to talk about simply come out of the two words, the Lord. Here's the first thing we learn about God. God is is God is so how do we know that his name tells us that the name Yahweh it comes from a Hebrew root word Yah and the Hebrew root word that is the foundation of the name of God is a verb of existence it simply means to be Most scholars would say that the primary meaning of this word reveals truth about the existence of God. It tells us his name declares God is. Do you remember the story in Exodus chapter 3? In Exodus chapter 3, God makes himself known to Moses. 
say, who was Moses? Moses was the promised one that was supposed to lead the children of Israel out of 400 years of slavery in the nation of Egypt. And Moses had been born and raised in Egypt. But as a young man, something happened, and Moses fled the nation of Egypt. And as we find him in Exodus chapter 3, Moses has now been living for 40 years on the backside of the Midian desert in total obscurity as a shepherd. Nobody knew where he was. Nobody heard from him. While Moses was on the backside of the desert, he met a woman, and he married her, and Moses had children out there, and he lived his life for 40 years as a shepherd. But God had set him apart to be the one who would lead the children of Israel out of captivity and into the promised land. So it was time for that to take place. So God showed up and began to make himself known to Moses. You say, how did he do that? He appeared to Moses in the burning bush. You've heard the story of Moses and the burning bush. What happened is Moses was out just doing his thing, minding his own business, and all of a sudden there was a bush that was burning. Now, that was not uncommon. He was in the desert. It was not uncommon for a bush to catch on fire. What caught his attention was it didn't stop burning. It never burned up. This bush just kept burning, and it kept burning, and it kept burning, and it so captivated his attention, Moses approached this bush, and as he got close to the bush, God spoke to him, and God said, Moses, take off your shoes, because the place where you're standing is holy ground. And God began to reveal to Moses as he spoke to him that he had called him to go back to Egypt and lead the people out of Egypt, out of captivity, into the promised land. And Moses began to think about this. Well, God, I hadn't been there in 40 years. They're not even going to remember who I am. They're not going to know me at all. And when I tell them that I'm the one that's going to lead them, Moses said, who am I supposed to tell them sent me? Look at it in verse 14 of chapter 3. Look up here. God said to Moses, I am who I am. God said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am. Say it out loud. I am has sent me to meet you. Now, we get it today, but... I imagine Moses had a tough time swallowing that, right? I mean, we've read it in the Bible, so it sounds right to us. But can you imagine when the millions gathered and Moses said, I've been sent by God. Who who sent you? I am. (laughs) But I am is the Hebrew word, yah, to be. And it's describing The existence, the eternal existence of God. Here's what it means. There has never been a time when God was not. We tell our stories with once upon a time at the beginning and then the end at the end, right? It's the way we tell our stories. Listen, the story of God has no once upon a time. It has no beginning, and it has no the end. It has nothing at the end. He just am. 
You say, that's not very good English. No, but it's great theology. Why? Because it's his name. He am. He always am. He's eternally present. Here's what that means. You can travel back. If we could get on a time machine this morning, you could travel back in history as far as you want to go. And you drop down into history wherever you want to drop down. And let me tell you what you're going to find out. He am. God is. Let me give you some examples. Go back over 2,600 years to 600 B.C. You find a young man named Daniel. And Daniel is taking a stand against the wicked king, Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel is standing on the authority of the word of God. And because of his stance, Daniel faces persecution. And God throw, Nebuchadnezzar throws Daniel into a lion's den. Now, when you get thrown into a lion's den, that does not normally turn out very well for you. The lions are supposed to eat you up. But Daniel is thrown into the lion's den, and guess what the Bible says? God am. God showed up, and he shut the mouths of the lions and demonstrated his glory. But you can go back past Daniel. Go back over 3,000 years, and you'll find a little boy named David. Just a little boy shepherd, a little young teenage boy, this shepherd. Little scrawny guy. Nobody would have picked him on their team. He wasn't the fastest or the strongest or the smartest. And he finds himself out on a battlefield with all the nation of Israel behind him and all of the Canaanite armies in front of him and their leader, Goliath, this giant who stood over nine feet tall, who was trained in weaponry and battlefield experience. And here's little old shepherd boy, Daniel, never been on a battlefield in his life, hadn't had an ounce of training. All he's got is a few rocks and a slingshot in his pocket. And God showed up. And God took the stone in that slingshot and he slaughtered Goliath and he defeated the entire army of the Philistines there in front of David. He defeated that entire army and he spared the nation of Israel. How? Because he just am. Go back over 3,500 years. You find Moses, this one who'd been called to go and lead the children of Israel out. And Moses does. And he leads the children of Israel out just like God told him to. And he gets out to the Red Sea, and they can't cross it. And they got the Egyptian army now coming up from behind. You're talking about a rock in a hard place. They got the Red Sea in front of them, the Egyptian army behind them. It looks like complete disaster. And God shows up, and God parts the Red Sea, and they walk across on dry land. Then God drowns the whole army in the Red Sea. You say, yeah, but theologians and scholars tell us the Red Sea, it's really the Reed Sea. It's only a couple of feet deep. Well, what's the greater miracle? Is the greater miracle that God parted a huge body of water and let his children walk across on dry land, or is the greater miracle that God drowned an entire army in two foot of water? Whichever way you want to look at it. Whichever way you want to unparse it, right? It's a myth. What, what happened? God showed up. Why? Because God is always God. You go back to the creation of man and woman in the garden, and it was God who breathed life into them. Listen, you go all the way back to the first four words of the Bible. In the beginning, say it out loud. Here's what that means. When the beginning began at the beginning of beginnings 
He already am. Pastor, that's, that's, that, that's kind of hard for me to wrap my head around. It, it raises some questions. Like, like, how long, how long did God exist before he created the world? <laughs> I wouldn't think about that too long. <laughs> It'd give you a headache. Because the answer is forever. Forever. Charles Ryrie said it this way. Listen to this quote. The attribute of eternity. That's what we're talking about. God is eternal. The attribute of eternity means that God exists endlessly. Now, now we really understand that the first part of this we, we get. It's the second half of this that messes us up. His existence extends endlessly backward and forward. We don't have a box for that, right? I mean, we don't even hardly have any words in the English language to describe that. We got all kinds of words for something that begins and has no ending. Everlasting, unending, perpetual, forever, Endless, all those words describe something that begins but then has no ending. Come up with a word that means no beginning or ending. I only think of two in the English language. One is the one that we're talking about, eternal. The other is the word timeless. If you look up the word timeless in the English dictionary, here's the definition. Having no beginning or ending. Timeless. No beginning or ending. Who is that? It's God. And listen, it's exactly the way he describes himself in relationship to time. Let me show it to you. In Revelation chapter 1... I've shown you this before at Hope, but it's so important to understanding the eternality of God. God describes himself in a unique way. Let me show it to you. Revelation 1, verse 8. God says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Why is that important? Because Alpha is the first letter in the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last letter in the Greek alphabet. God says, I'm the, I'm the A and I'm the Z and I'm everything in between. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who, say it out loud. It's interesting. It's interesting. Don't miss this. You say, why is that so interesting? Here's why. Because when you and I describe ourselves in a relationship to time, we always do it in order. What's the order? Past. Say it with me. Present. Future, right? We would say, I was. I am. I will be, right? Why? That's how we talk. That's how we understand time. Not God. Look what he says. He starts with who is. He starts in the present. And then he said, oh, yeah, yeah, I was. He is, but he was, and now 
He is, well, what's he? He's describing himself in relationship to time. Here's what that means. He's the one who is. Here's what that means. He existed outside the parameters of time. He's the one that spoke all of time as we know it into existence. He's the one that holds time in the palm of his hand. He is, but he's also the one who was. What does that mean? At a moment in time, this one that created time took on humanity and he entered the time that he created in the person of Jesus Christ. He was. He created history. He entered history. And one day, he's coming again to bring all of history as we know it to an end. One day, he'll bring all of time as we know it to a conclusion. And we will dwell with him forever in eternity. Let me give you a life application about this, this principle that God is. Here's the life application. God is never surprised. Why? Because he's eternally present. Here's what that means. He never takes a day off to come back and find out things have changed. He never takes a nap. He doesn't doze off. He doesn't sleep at night. He's never caught off guard. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? He's never said, uh-oh. He's never said, I didn't see that coming. Why? Because he's not surprised. Listen, here's why this is important. See, he just am. Some of you came in here today thinking what you're facing, what you're walking through, what you're experiencing, nobody's ever been through what you've been through. Man, your situation is unique. This is something unlike anybody else has ever faced. But here's what I want you to hear me say this morning. God has seen it all. God has sustained his people through it all, and God has carried him out victoriously on the other side of it all. God is. He just and he sees tomorrow with the same clarity that he sees yesterday. Why? Because he is. God is. Second thing. God is unchanging. If you knew how important and good this is, you'd already be shouting. God is unchanging. Where's that come from? Yahweh. The Lord speaks to the unchanging nature of God. That word Yahweh could literally be translated, he who is. It's why when he introduced himself to Moses, he said, I am who I am. What you see is what you get. I am not evolving. I am not deteriorating. I just he said of himself in Malachi chapter 3, for I, the Lord, there's that name again, I, the Lord, do not change. God is unchanging. Listen to the way the psalmist wrote about it. Psalm 102, look what he said. Of old you founded the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Even they will perish, but you endure. Did you hear that? Even the heavens, even the creation, it's going to perish, but you, God, endure. All of them wear out like a garment, like clothing. You will change them. What's he talking about here? He's talking about creation. I moved here in 2000. 
When I moved here in 2000, Mount Charleston looked just like it looks today. It, it, it didn't really just change a bit. When I moved here in 2000, the Big Dipper is right where it is today. The sun and the moon are constant. But God says, compared to creation, it's like they're just clothes being changed every day compared to the unchanging nature of God. Look what he goes on to say. You will change them and they will be changed. But you are the, say it out loud, you're the same. It's literally translated he, meaning, but you, (laughs) creation, the universe, it's changing like we change clothes. But you, you are he. You are the same. And your years will not come to an end. Millard Erickson, a great theologian who wrote the systematic theology that I used in seminary, here's what he said. What we're dealing with here is the dependability of God. He will be the same tomorrow as he is today. He will act as he has promised. Let me give you the application. God is always God. If you only knew how good that is. I'm telling you, somebody would have shouted hallelujah. You know what the word hallelujah is? You know what the last part of hallelujah is? Yah, Yahweh, to be. Hallel, pray. You know what hallelujah means? Praise Yahweh. Praise God. Why? Because God is always God. Here's what that means. If you came in here today and what you need is the grace of God, you came in here today and you are weighed down and you have burdens and you need a fresh outpouring of the grace of God, I have good news for you today. Listen, he is as gracious today as he has ever been and he is as gracious today as he will ever will be. How do I know that? Because God is always God. Anybody come in here today in need of provision? You got a need? Maybe it's physical. Maybe it's spiritual. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's relational. Maybe it's emotional. But you came in here today and you you come in with your hands full of a need. What can I do with that? Here's what we can do with that. Know that God is always God. Here's what that means. He's as much a provider today as he's ever been. And he's as much a provider today as he will ever be. How do I know that? Because God is always God. How do you know that? Because he told us his name. And his name is Yahweh. I am. Some of you came in here today needing the forgiveness of God. Some the protection. Some the power. Some the strength. Some the mercy. Some the wisdom. Some the guidance. How do I know today that God can meet my needs? I'll tell you how. Because he's the same God today that he's always been. And he's the same God today that he'll always be. You'll never catch him on a better day than today. How do I know that? Because he am. He am. Listen, some of you came in here today and you need to be saved. You came in here today and because of your sin, you are separated from God. You've never known what it is 
to receive the forgiveness of God of your sin. You've never known what it is to know that you are loved and accepted by God. You've never known what it is to be a child of God and be a part of the family of God. You've come in today, you are lost. You need to be saved. I have good news for you today. He is as much a saving God today as he has ever been, and he's as much a saving God today as he ever will be. How do I know that? Because he am. God is always God. Here's the third thing. Now, so far, We hadn't got past the Lord. So now you see why we're doing this over two weekends. Because we actually could have done five or six more things out of just the Lord. But we've got to keep this in our 11 weeks, right? We we want to deep drive, not drown, right? We, We want to come back up. So now let's move to what he says about the Lord. He said, the Lord is gracious. Now, he goes on to say, gracious and merciful, abounding in loving kindness. Good. We're going to unpack the rest of those statements next weekend, but we're going to finish with this one this morning. God is gracious. Say that out loud with me. God is gracious. Aren't you glad God is gracious? And you're never going to catch him on a day when he's more gracious than he is today. You know why? Because he's just always God. He's always the same. He never dispenses it and runs out. He is gracious. The word gracious is a word in Hebrew that means likely to act or disposed to bestow favors or blessings. Notice the word gracious in Psalm 145 is never used in the Old Testament to describe anyone but God himself. Nobody else has this attribute in the scriptures but God, meaning God defines graciousness. But I want you to understand this word gracious by looking at the first time it's used in the Bible. There's a principle in Scripture that I like to think about. It's the principle of first usage. Whenever you see a word or a term first used in the Scripture, like, for example, the first time the word worship is ever used, nobody had a guitar or a piano. The first time the word worship is used is in Genesis 22 when Abraham and Isaac were going up on the mountain to sacrifice Isaac in in following the the command of God. That's what they called worship. Nobody was playing music. It teaches us something about what worship is. The first time in the scriptures where God is ever called gracious, he calls himself that, introducing himself to Moses in Exodus chapter 34. So flip over to Exodus 34. Let me give you the story to catch you up. We said a moment ago in Exodus chapter 3 that God appeared to Moses to go back and lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. So from Exodus chapter 3 all the way to Exodus chapter 19, we read the story of Moses going back, God sending the ten plagues, Pharaoh finally relenting, letting the children of Israel go, all that you saw in that movie, the Ten Commandments. That's Exodus chapter 3 all the way up to Exodus chapter 19. In Exodus chapter 19, God has now led the children of Israel out of Egypt, and he invites Moses up onto what's called Mount Sinai. And Moses goes up to meet with God on Mount Sinai. Now, this meeting took 12 chapters in the Bible. Exodus chapter 19 
to Exodus chapter 31 is God speaking to Moses on the mountain and giving Moses the law of God. This revelation of the righteousness and the holiness and the justice of God. Let me show it to you. At the end of chapter 31, look at verse 18 up here on the screen. It says, when he had finished speaking with him upon Mount Sinai, that's talking about God, he gave Moses the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written by the finger of God. (laughs) Think about that. God, Yahweh, with his finger, took these two tablets and he wrote in these tablets the law of God and he gives it to Moses. Now, for these 12 chapters, what had been going on at the foot of the mountain with all the people of Israel? Let me tell you what's been going on. They got impatient. Twelve chapters was entirely too long for them to have to wait to hear what God had to say to Moses. And so they went to Aaron out of their impatience. And here's what they said. You're not going to believe what they said. Look what they said to Aaron in Exodus 32 verse 1. Come make us a God. We've been waiting 12 chapters on this God. That's way too long. We want another God. Aaron, make us a God Don't look who will go before us. They just watched the God that was meeting with Moses send plagues into the land of Egypt. They'd watched him demonstrate his power and his faithfulness. And now after 12 chapters, just make us another God. As for Moses, who brought us up from the land of Israel, we don't even know what's become of him. Twelve chapters he's been up there. Hadn't sent us an email or nothing. (laughs) So Exodus 32, Moses comes down off the mountain, and Aaron and the people of Israel had taken gold, all their earrings, all their rings, and they melted it down, and they made themselves a god in the appearance of a golden calf. Now, get this. Moses has been up on the mountain for 12 chapters. Moses has been listening to God speak. Moses is carrying two tablets that God wrote with his own finger. And he begins his descent down the mountain, and he sees this party, this pagan, idolatrous worship and dancing around a golden calf that they'd made with their own hands. And Moses became so angry that look what the Bible said he did in Exodus 32. It came about as soon as Moses came near to the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger burned, and he threw the tablets from his hands and shattered them at the foot of the mountain. Moses saw what was going on, and he became so angry, he took the tablets that God had written with his own finger, and he smashed them on the ground. Let me tell you what could have happened right then. God could have said, enough. had it up to here did you not just witness all that I did for you bringing you out of here and, and 12 chapters you can't wait God could have said I've had it up to here 
I'm done. And he could have opened the earth and swallowed them all up and been over. And Exodus 34 could be the end of the Bible. But in Exodus 34, God asked Moses to come back up on the mountain. And look what he said. The Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, Yahweh. The Lord, Yahweh, Elohim. Compassionate and, what's the next word? How about that? The scene demonstrates the grace of God. Here's the life application. Listen to this life application. God always gives us more than we deserve. You know what that is? Grace. I like grace. You like grace? I like grace. Listen, what they deserved was to have the earth swallow them up and never be heard from again. But God in his grace, you know what he did? He gave Moses new tablets. He wrote them again. He gave them to him again. Why why would God do that? Because he's gracious. He's gracious. And listen, the single greatest demonstration of grace God has ever made is found in another name. And his name is, what do you think? Jesus. Oh, listen, I'm closing, all right? But you got to hear this. Listen, the name Jesus is the Greek translation of the Old Testament name Joshua. You hear it? Joshua. You know what that is? Yeshua. Yah. God. The Lord, Shua, saves. The name of Jesus is the name Yahweh has come to save. Yahweh saves. That is the name of Jesus. Oh, look at it. Isaiah chapter 45. Look what God said in the Old Testament. He said, turn to me, Yahweh, and be saved. Oh the ends of the earth for I am God and there is no other look what he said that to me every knee will bow and every tongue will swear allegiance does that sound a little bit like something we read in the New Testament in Philippians chapter 2 listen what Paul wrote for this reason God also highly exalted him Jesus and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father Paul is teaching us that in the end the whole world will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Yahweh in the flesh God who came into this world to save us listen listen just like the children of Israel we sinned against God we had God's laws we broke them we violated God's laws we stepped across God's boundary and let me tell you if we got what we deserved if we got what we deserved, God would have said I'm done with you And if we got what we deserved, every one of us would spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. But 
God is gracious. And he's so gracious that he didn't give us what we deserved. He took on human flesh and he entered this world in the person of Jesus Christ and gave the greatest demonstration of grace you and I will ever see. Romans says, God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Yahweh, God, took on humanity, entered the world, and died for us so that you and I could be forgiven of our sins. How is that possible? Grace. Grace. No wonder the old songwriter said, amazing grace. How sweet the sound of love. Let's pray together this morning.